Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Wednesday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot and Ashley Bastock to start off. Then Lance Risen is going to join in the second half to go over some of what he saw in that Browns win over the Bears on Sunday. But let's get to it. Let's set up the week ahead. Browns traveling to Houston to face the Texans, a game that has a, a very different tenor to it, obviously with Deshaun Watson out, but still a huge football game. But before we get into that, and we might touch on that a little bit, I just want to know what everybody's thinking right now as we head into Christmas week, the holidays, uh, Browns at Texans. We're all going to be flying back on Christmas Day from Houston early in the morning. Mary Kay, what are you thinking about this week? You know, I'll tell you, one of the number one things that I'm thinking about as we head into this week is, is C.J. Stroud going to play in this football game? And I wrote a little bit about this yesterday. As of yesterday, he was not yet cleared from the concussion protocol, even if he is cleared from the concussion protocol, I maintain that players coming right off of a concussion are not themselves. They're never themselves. I don't care what anybody says. The first game back, usually they have to shake off those cobwebs. So I, uh, I'm i thinking a lot about that because I think it's a completely different ball game completely different ball game if the Browns are going to be facing C.J. Stroud, who now has 20 touchdowns and five interceptions. He's climbed to number five in the NFL with a 98.2 rating, I think it is. Uh, he's doing a really, really nice job. He's, of course, a mobile quarterback once again. And, you know, sometimes the Browns can have their issues with that a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I think that it's just a different game if you face C.J. Stroud or if you face old friend Case Keenum. Now, Case went out and he had a really nice game against the Titans, and he was able to beat the Titans in overtime. Uh, he engineered a game-winning field goal drive in overtime uh, so that they could win that football game and stay just a game behind the Cleveland Browns at 8-6, and six, and that's significant. That sets up for a really big game this weekend. It's it's very meaningful. The Browns need to keep winning to ensure a playoff spot. They can't just take anything for granted. Uh, so that's one of the number one things that I'm thinking about. I checked again today. Here we are taping this on Tuesday afternoon. I haven't seen any news yet on whether or not he's still in the protocol or not. I mean, I haven't heard that he's out, so I'm going to assume that he's still in uh, as we tape this at 4 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, so that's it. That's one of the biggest things I'm thinking about as we head to Houston on Saturday. We talked about this with the Chicago game. And, you know, when the schedule comes out, you look at games and you're like, OK, well, that's a win. That's a you know, they'll go win that game, all of this. And obviously that Chicago game ends, ends up being much tougher than, you know, the Browns were down 10 in the fourth quarter in that game. Um, that game ends up being tougher than I think a lot of people expected in May. And, you know, there's also like this game, Ashley, this is one of those games too, where you look at it and we didn't, I mean, whatever you thought of CJ Stroud, I don't know if we thought he'd be this good this soon. Like he's probably going to win rookie of the year. He's been, it, it looks like Carolina took the wrong guy. Um, and now all of a sudden this game means something. Houston's got a chance to win the AFC South still. And these are two teams fighting for one of those three wildcard spots. So I don't think anybody expected this game to mean this much and for CJ Stroud to be this big of a factor uh, once we got to, to Christmas week when the schedule came out. No, and I mean, look at them even last week. CJ doesn't play and Case Keenum plays and they still find a way to beat 
Tennessee, which like obviously it's Tennessee. We know how they're doing this year, but still, I mean, they had to go out there with a backup quarterback and some key injuries and figure out how to win a football game. And they did. And we've been talking about it, just how close the AFC is in general right now with how many teams are between that like eight to 10 win range. There's a lot of teams vying for only a few wildcard spots. So it's tough. I mean, I think, yeah, this is exactly one of those games where when the schedule came out, you think, okay, they're going to go down to Houston and they're probably going to win. And obviously the vision of that game looks totally different, but I think the Texans are better than a lot of people expected after how they looked last year. And this is a tough game. Like, I mean, we're early in the week. I still don't know how I'm going to pick this game. Like I, you know, looking at it a couple weeks off, I was leaning Texans just because of CJ. But if he doesn't play, I think that does change some things. Coupled with the Browns pulling off the crazy win that they just did is coloring my opinion too, I think. I mean, Mary Kay, it just speaks to what a quarterback can do, right? Like when you when you figure out quarterback, everything else just sort of falls into place. I mean, this is why not to turn this into a Deshaun Watson discussion, which is what we would have been having this week, potentially, if things would have been normal. But, I mean, this is why the Browns went crazy to go get a quarterback. And this is why Joe Flacco has come in and stabilized things for them. Uh, just having a guy there that they know what, what they want to do with. Like, again, in May, we had no idea what this game was going to mean. And now it looks like the Texans have sort of turned around their fortunes um, thanks to the Deshaun trade and thanks to bringing in CJ and some other, some other moves they made. Now they're one of the teams kind of on the up and up. Yeah, they really are. And boy, are they getting it turned around here in a hurry with CJ Stroud and with some good coaching and with D'Amico Ryans. I mean, D'Amico Ryans has really brought an amazing, amazing culture to Houston and it really needed that. It just needed a whole entire turnaround and boy, did they get it. And I'll tell you, you know, to, to watch what CJ Stroud has been able to accomplish this year, he's got a seven and six record. I mentioned uh, where he is in terms of his rating, where he is in terms of the touchdown passes uh, versus the interceptions, you know, that's, that's just phenomenal for them. And um, you know, it does make you think sometimes it does make you think about like, geez, did the Browns really have to go given giving up three first round picks and $230 million to accomplish their quarterback goals? You hate to say it. I mean, you just hate to say it, but you have to wonder, did they really, really need to do that? Um, you know, when you now you can go out and if you have a really, really good uh, personnel department, you can find really good dual threat quarterbacks in college that people didn't really necessarily think were going to be all that. And you can put them into the right scheme and the right system and they're excelling. And in some cases right away. Now, of course you have to get it right and you have to build the right system around them. And, um, you know, I was just listening to Chris Long talking on a podcast about, you know, you have to put it into context. You know, some of these quarterbacks end up in bad situations and yet we still rip the heck out of them. Um, Others end up in really good situations. And then all of a sudden we talk about them as though uh, they are suddenly amazing quarterbacks when it's really everything else around them has changed. But, um, you know, CJ's in a great situation for himself. He's making the most of it. And, um, you know, I think everybody wants this to be a C.J. Stroud game. I think the Browns want it to be a, a C.J. Stroud game. But if it's not, I mean, 
like I said, Case could make it interesting. I mean, Case could make it interesting. He's a solid quarterback. I mean, he's one of those guys uh, that you can plug into the West Coast, you know, play action, rollout type of system. He went 11-3 and for Kevin Stefanski with the Minnesota Vikings. He went 2-0 and for the Browns in 2021. I mean, it would not be a completely easy out if Case starts this game. Yeah, I don't know. And honestly, with this Browns team, you know, I agree with you, Mary Kay, they can beat anyone. But also the flip side of that is I think there isn't such a thing as an easy game for them, for this team right now. No. either. I think a lot of them are going to be tough and, and ugly and, and difficult. Um, mm-hmm. OK, Ashley, what are you thinking about this week? I'm thinking about some of these guys on the Browns, unsurprisingly, I think for a lot of fans, injuries and what those are going to look like and who might the Browns get back? Who might we get the final word on? I mean, the two big ones for me are, are Joel Batonio. Obviously, he had that back injury that he left in the first quarter on Sunday. Kevin Stefanski still yesterday categorized him as day-to-day in his teleconference. So no final word on him yet. We don't know what's going on with Juan Thornhill, who got hurt two weeks ago in pregame warmups, re-aggravated a calf injury. So that's a big one. Curious, Mary Kay, I know you've reported some that Obo Garanko, we might get a final word one way or the other on him this week as they decide what they're going to do with him and see if maybe Obo could have a chance to return if they're going to make a playoff run here. I mean, I still think injuries are such a story of this team. And thankfully, there weren't many in-game injuries this past week. But, you know, you never know what's going to pop up during a week, even it feels like anymore with this team. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've seen injuries in practice, right? I mean, Anthony Walker was a was a practice injury last week. And, um, you know, Jordan Kanashik, another one, he's he's working his way back. He had a practice injury. Uh, Mary Kay, we don't even know about the center Ethan Posick, he missed the game with a stinger. I, I mean, I, we just don't know day to day, week to week, what this team is going to look like. And you hope that some of these guys are going to start getting healthier. You know, you hope that Denzel Ward will be able to play, you know, a more full load on, on Sunday. But who knows, <laughs> with the way this season has gone, like, you can't really guarantee anything. No, you you really can't. And I think the big one, the biggest one probably for this week is Joel Batonio. And, um, you know, when, when we caught up with him in the locker room, he, uh, you know, he said he couldn't move. And that's that's never good. Now, I will say that with some treatment that, um, you know, he might have a quick turnaround, but it's going to be have to be a remarkable turnaround for him because he was in horrible, excruciating pain after the game. And that's never good because, you know, you undergo an MRI and who knows what they might find. If he has some kind of a disc issue, uh, you know, if he's got a herniated disc or something like that in there, and we we don't know yet, um, you know, sometimes that's something that either requires rest or sometimes even a procedure. So, um, you know, so who knows what's going on with that? And it was a, a sudden thing that happened in the game. This was not a cumulative, you know, chronic pain issue or something like that. This was an incident uh, that he felt it happen in the game. So hopefully he's going to be okay because uh, there are just are, are certain players on this team where they're getting to the point where, you know, if you're going to lose Joel, you're going to lose Miles. Uh, if you're going to lose some of these guys, then it's going to be really, really hard to, uh, you know, they're probably still going to make the playoffs, but it's going to be really hard to get very far in the playoffs if you're without all these Pro Bowl players. Yeah, Ashley, I listened to a, a podcast today that kind of laid it out, like, and I kind of forgot about this in the moment, but the Browns at one point on Sunday had a lineup with 
Um, I'm trying to think it was their third string right tackle. Their, yeah, third string right tackle, backup left tackle, third string center, backup right guard, and Wyatt Teller. And that's that's tough to sustain. Um, now, look, obviously, if, with Nick Harris, he just left the game for a snap and then came back. But still, when he was replaced by Luke Whippler, you were really getting bare bones on that offensive line. Yeah. I mean, they literally didn't have anybody else. Like, I don't know what's the situation if, God forbid, Nick Harris was hurt seriously and then something happened to Luke Whippler in that situation. I'm not sure who your center is at that point with Ethan Posick still out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think too, I was talking about this yesterday on sports for CLE, like the fact that we, everyone's talking about the run game, right. And how it looks off and they haven't been able to figure it out. It's like, have you noticed the offensive line? These guys are running behind right now. I mean, it literally is being held together by duct tape and chewing gum. And, you know, credit to Bill Callahan, because sometimes you look out there, like you said, that scenario, he is a magician for keeping that thing looking competent even as a unit with only one starter in there but when you don't have Nick Chubb you don't have a mobile quarterback and you don't have your starting offensive lineman I'm sorry to say but like throwing the ball 40 plus times in a bad weather game is simply the reality you live in now I know people were mad about that but that's just that's where we are that and it's not just a Joel Batonio thing but like man if you don't have one of the best pooling guards in the league that's going to hurt your run game a little bit. Yeah, it was it was really nearly impossible to to run the football. And oh, by the way, Nick Chubb isn't there anymore yeah. either. Let's not let's I not forget about him. that one. I know I yes. didn't forget it. I, meant, I know I mentioned him too. So that's a big part of it too, okay. right? But like it's like I don't know. It's it, you're starting to see these things. I think spiral. Like right, like that's an example of something spiraling. We're like, oh, they managed to cobble together a run game without Nick Chubb. Why is it suddenly not working? It's like, gee, I don't know. Maybe because of all these other injuries to the offense that have impacted it. (laughs) Well, let's think some positive thoughts here because I personally, Mr. Positivity, Mr. Sunshine over here, I'm thinking (laughs) playoffs for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, For the first time this season, they have playoff clinching scenarios. Now, it is complicated. It is highly unlikely, but there are eight scenarios in which the Browns can clinch the playoffs. Um Six of them involve a Pittsburgh loss or tie. Uh, I guess actually seven of them uh, involve a Pittsburgh tie. Uh, But six of them involve a Pittsburgh loss. A bunch of them involve a Buffalo loss. So we might have an answer as to whether the if if Pittsburgh and Buffalo both win on Saturday, the Browns can't can't clinch the playoffs. But if one of those teams loses, uh, then we're on to Sunday. I, I mean... I, this would be a 40 minute long pot if I sat here and listed all of these scenarios, but it starts first and foremost with the Browns have to win in all of them. Uh, but Mary Kay, it's just kind of a reminder and sort of what we've been saying, like you get to 10, this thing's probably going to work out in your favor. And then of course, if the Browns do win this week, it will get them to 10 wins. Yes. Which is pretty incredible. Um, but when I keep seeing all of these scenarios, including pit loss, pit loss, pit loss, pit loss, or pit tie, 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 tie. They're starting Mason Rudolph this week. So they are now, if I'm not mistaken, how many quarterback? Well, this is probably only their third quarterback that they're starting. But um, but still, uh, that's, you know, that's saying something when, you know, you're down to your third quarterback, you've already fired your offensive coordinator. 
it would be who I don't even know who Pittsburgh is playing on Saturday. Do you know who they are playing, you guys? Uh, they I, host Cincinnati. I, oh, there's a good chance that they're going to lose that game. I think. I mean, it could happen. Although, I mean, especially with the way Jake Browning has, you know, right. kind of improbably led the Bengals to some wins here. Right. It's never easy to win in Pittsburgh. And, you know, their defense is is always good. And those AFC North games are still always, you know, high intensity, almost near playoff games. But, you know, there's a good chance at least one of those things that the Browns need to happen is going to happen this weekend which would be a Pittsburgh loss to the Bengals. I can see that happening. But yeah, there's there's so many things that that could happen to get the Browns in there, but they're so close. I mean, there's one thing that we can say with some with some certainty and that is the Browns are going to the playoffs this year. It would be a, a pretty epic collapse at this point, Ashley, if they didn't make it to the playoffs. Um, they've got Houston and the Jets coming up in, in a span of four days. And, it, you know, I, I keep saying, look, weird things happen on Thursday night. I think those are un- completely unpredictable games. But especially if C.J. Stroud doesn't play, the Browns should get at least one more win in these next two. And then Cincinnati, you know, it is still Jake Browning, you know, and then the Browns <laughs> do well against the Bengals. So there's a there's a win here on this schedule for the Browns. And like I've said, like like we've been saying, if they get to 10, I think I think things should sort of fall in their favor when it comes to tiebreakers. Yeah, I think so, too. Like they seem to be in better shape for that this year than like I know last year when they're kind of middling around the the middle of the pack and they didn't have like any tiebreakers last year. It was just the way things fell this year. It feels like the opposite. I do think we're kind of past the point where that, that sort of, that sort of collapse would be kind of crazy, right? Like I think a lot of things would have to very suddenly go very wrong for them. And I'm sure there's a lot of people being like, knock on wood. We're, we're Browns fans. We know how this goes. These things can happen. It's not an impossibility, but I think for me, like if they would have lost to the bears, then that's when it's like, okay, this thing feels very fragile suddenly, especially with all these injuries. So I I do still think that they're a playoff team right now, the way things are. There would have to be a lot, not just that is them losing out, but I think other crazy things happening around the league too. And they're kind of benefiting from this idea that, and some of it have been some breaks that have gone their way, other, other things like that. But I think they're sort of benefiting from like, they certainly probably should have lost that game to the bears. When you go into the fourth quarter down 10 points, you shouldn't win that game. And when the, when a hail Mary lands in a guy's lap, you shouldn't win that game, but they came away with that win. They go to Indianapolis and give up 38 points and they managed to score 39 with PJ Walker playing quarterback. Uh, You know, Jake Moody sends a, sends a kick wide, right. Right. But they win that game with PJ Walker. They're sort of benefiting here. Mary Kay from, all of these little wins they were able to pick up along the way. So like they're not getting hurt when they by as much when they go on the West Coast and they lose to Denver and LA because for however they've done it, they've managed to take advantage of some of these opportunities. They've won these games with DTR and PJ Walker and uh, you know Deshaun Watson playing hurt. They've managed to win some of these games and when you're able to bank wins like that, it can come back and help you in the end. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I keep saying, I said it on our podcast the other night, and I still feel this way. If Moody and Mooney just made their plays at the end of the game, where they should have been plays that they could have made, because we saw the ball right in, uh, you know, right in 
Mooney's lap. And we know that Jake Moody can kick a 41-yard field goal or should be able to. Um, if just those two guys did their job, that's it. Not completely out of the Browns' control. You know, nothing that they could have done or any any differently in that moment. Um, we could be talking about Kevin Stefanski would be would be on the hot seat right now. He would be on the hot seat. People would be clamoring for his head, and the Browns would be on the outside of the playoffs looking in. So that is the you know the margin, the razor thin margin between success and failure in the NFL and the perception of your team in the NFL uh, based on a couple little things like that. And, and they've had like four or five of those things. They've had four or five of those kind of things go their way, including like you mentioned the end of the Indianapolis game with those calls. I mean, if Indy doesn't get into the playoffs because of that, I mean, that that's, you know, and the Browns do, I mean, it could come down to something like that. So they've gotten, what you need sometimes in the NFL to get where you want to go. And that's a little bit of luck just when they needed it. Yep. Hello, ask, ask the Minnesota Vikings about that. You know, last year they had a negative point differential and they snuck into the playoffs with all these one win, one score wins. Now ask the Vikings how fickle that is year to year, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're not going to worry about that. We're focused on this year, focused on going one and oh every single week as Kevin Stefanski likes to say, Ashley just shook her head at me. (laughs) All right. Uh, So the Browns, like I said, Mr. Positivity over here thinking playoffs, we're going to take a break on the other side. Lance Risen is going to join us to go over the film uh, of that win over the bears. Before we get to Lance, I want to give you guys, I, I usually do this at the end of the pod, but I really want to, if, if you guys like this podcast, if you like listening to us, I'd really appreciate it if you would go to subscribe to us at two different places. The first is Instagram. It's really easy. Right now, just open the Instagram app on your phone, search Orange and Brown Talk, hit that follow button. I post videos there. Uh, you know, sometimes one of our photographers will put up a little slideshow that, that'll show up in our stories. Give us a follow on Instagram. And then also... Follow us on YouTube. That's where you can get our daily stand-ups, our post-game videos. Go to YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com, and give us a follow there. I would really appreciate it if you guys could help us out. Okay, now we're going to take a break, and then we're going to get to Lance on the other side. All right, welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And as we do every Wednesday, we welcome on Lance Reisland. Lance, how are you? Dan, I am well. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. If I'm not mistaken, you are now a free man for the next two weeks, right? Christmas break is upon us. Christmas break is upon us. Yes, I'll be <laughs> I'll be meeting with you as much as you'd like over the next couple weeks, my friend. Yes, we're gonna I we're stay. gonna wear we're gonna wear Lance out for the next couple weeks. <laughs> I'm looking I am looking forward to it. I gotta tell you, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> okay, um, let's get to it. I want to start with that Amari Cooper play and that that pass that Joe Flacco threw. Um, maybe the best pass Joe Flacco has thrown this season. I don't even know if there's a maybe about it. Maybe the best pass the Browns have had all season, and there's been some good ones. Uh, and then I do want to talk a little bit about Amari Cooper just in general, but just that play. Tell me about it. What happened on that play? What did Flacco see? How did Amari reel that in? Well, this is really cool. So this is what Kevin Stefanski has done to kind of take what he does and adapt it to Joe Flacco. So they ran that levels concept. You and I have talked about it since Baker. So uh, and I've been talking to you that long since, you know, Baker is the guy we first started talking about together. So they ran that levels concept. But what they did, because Flacco's the quarterback, is that the Najoku, who's in the flat, they're the first level. Um, 
he usually just goes to the flat because Joe Flacco doesn't have good feet. They chip that end. So it's the same breed, but now you're just getting a little expert uh, protection. Flacco, instead of sprinting out, just kind of semi-rolls and sets in the pocket. And those linemen know that he's setting in the pocket. So it's still the same routes, but how do you how do you adapt to your quarterback? So that's the first thing they did is where he set, and then they chip the end to make sure that end didn't get a running start. Then Moore blows the top off. Uh, Omari comes across on the on the drag, and the Joku's in the flat. So it's just that three-level route that everybody runs, and it's a soft cover to shell. Now, the problem is when you chip Najoku, that corner sits. So a corner's taught, if no one threatens me in my flat, I just kind of get some ground, and that's what ended up happening. That's why they get the guy in the flat early, so you create that soft window in there. Well, because he chipped, there's no window, and the window became very, very small. So what you saw there was the window between the back of the safety and the corner uh, almost all had their hands on it, but that's what it was. It was a cover two shell. Uh, he shot it in there into that second level, which is, uh, you know, more open it up. And it's a very team-based thing where you got to open it up. And he made a great read, a great throw, and a great adjustment. And the cool part was how he set up protection and played distract, uh, Flacco's strengths and not just do what they normally do. So very cool, very cool play design uh, off one of their basic plays. So Mari Cooper, um, you know, after the game, gave credit to Joe for that throw. Um, he couldn't believe that he made it. Um, he said he saw the window. He couldn't believe Joe got it in there. Uh, and then he turns it up and runs up the field called back to the Tennessee game when he got called out of bounds, even though he wasn't out of bounds, all of that. But Amari Cooper, I think is, and I didn't realize this until I watched him every single day here in Cleveland. And I think that's part of it, right? He has to be on the list of most underrated players in the NFL because, He's not this super dynamic, you know, he's he's not as outspoken as like a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson or Tyree Kill. And I can make the case. Look, I certainly think those guys, I, I understand why you would take them over Amari Cooper, but just watching him every single day and watching him every single game and the things he can do, no matter who the quarterback is, this is truly like an elite number one receiver in the NFL. And I feel like, bef- you know, before I watched him, here in Cleveland, I was kind of with a lot of people in the camp of, eh, maybe he's more of a one B like he's not quite a two, but I don't know if he's a one. I think he's maybe more of a one B I'm fully on board with him now is like, he's a legit top tier receiver in this league. Well, for me, when I break down receivers, it always comes down to three, the three, the three levels, right? So he's arguably uh, one of the best release guys of anybody in the league. He can get off releases. He can get off press. He can, he presses people's score. He's an amazing uh, route runner. I remember doing an article when he signed from the uh, Cowboys, writing an article on his ability to run routes. So he uh, has a knowledge of defense. <clears throat> he's fantastic at the catch point, and he's really good run after catch. The thing that amazed me, like you said, watching him for the last two years down at practice, is when we're down there, it's how big Amari Cooper is. People don't really understand. He's a big man, and that allows him to – he can he can wrestle balls away in the red zone. He can get off press. Um, you're right. He's not a burner, but he never gets caught. He's one of those guys who's really football fast. And I think he's football fast because he understands what he's seeing out in front of him. And when you understand what you see at any position, and I go back to it all the time, I'm redundant on stuff, but if you're thinking you're not moving and Amari Cooper knows football, so he's at hundred percent speed, which makes him football fast because other people are thinking, but really good at all three levels of the catch, uh, understands, <clears throat> excuse me, very, very, uh, great hands, great ball control, uh, great spatial awareness, uh, great teammate. You know, if you think about a couple other routes that I thought about was the first, first third and for, for four, it goes in motion. Svansky does a great job of drawing that up for Flacco, which is a, it's an underneath, it's called the vapor, right? So you're going in the vapor trail. So your third and four, easy pickup. The big play, the big long pass, that's Cooper running that curl on the backside that allowed uh, 
what's the name to get open for that long one down the middle. So there's, he just does so many things well and he understands what his job is. So when you think about guys getting open, he's helping guys get open. He understands who's going to get the ball. He understood that he was going to get the ball there because it's cover two. So just a really, I'm with you. He's a one a, uh, he can do all the things you need. Um, he did, you know what it is. He's not flashing. He doesn't tell you how good he is. And that's part of, part of the deal with those receivers is they're, they're flashing. He's not, he's just really good. All right. Let's, let's move to another guy, um, who, you know, maybe doesn't always put up, uh, obviously he does pile up numbers, but, um, you know, he gets chipped, he gets double teamed, all of that. Kevin Stefanski made the case this week for miles Garrett for defensive player of the year. Something we, we haven't really ever heard Kevin do for a player. The gist of what he said is put on the tape, watch miles Garrett. So you put on the tape every single week. Tell me how Miles Garrett impacts the game, even when he's not getting sacks. Well, his QB hits and his QB pressures are off the charts. I think he had like 11, 12 QB hurries last week. So, again, a lot of people, me included, obviously the quarterback getting hit affects him. But pressures, when you speed up the clock, is what you really um, – that's what really messes up an offense when you speed up the clock and a guy can't go through progressions. He does that almost every, on every play. The problem is, and I wrote about it last week, is that he's kind of created a different set of rules for himself because he's so different than everybody else. He's as good a speed rusher or better than anybody, and he's as good a power rusher as anybody. So to have a chance, it's like I wrote about, like it's kind of like the Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, right? Where you there to have a chance, you gotta you gotta hold them and you gotta chip them, and and there's some blatant holes now. Uh, a lot of people had some uh, some feedback for me uh, about what, my thoughts on his holds, but I'll tell you what, he's getting hogtied, and there's some certain things, you know, I understand the hands are inside, and I have a lot of O-line friends that were uh, mad at me for saying that, but the, the bottom line is he's being held, and he's getting hogtied around his neck, and he's getting clotheslined, and he's they're, they're hooking him around his waist, and they're doing things because they know they can't, and I don't blame them, they're doing whatever they can to fight, and the coach is saying, you've got to make sure he doesn't kill the quarterback. But I think he's just set a different rule. Now, what he's doing is, and I agree with Stefanski, he's the best de- best defender on the best defense in the NFL. And you got to give those guys some credit because they got some new guys in there and they play the same way. And uh, I was talking to Ashley about those safeties. Those safeties did a good job of pre- preparing themselves because they look like, just like Delpit and Thornhill because in terms of their mechanics and how they handle themselves. So um, <clears throat> I think he's, he's, a, he's a complete game wrecker. You have to uh, approach him on every single snap. You can't even really chip him at this point in time. He's just, um, he's just a different level in terms of the size with the speed. There's guys who are – probably as good as speed rusher and there's probably guys who are good as bull rushers but there's no one like him in terms of both his transition from both is uh it's pretty devastating and you can see he just completely if you look at the quarterback when they're dropping he completely messes up their clock and there's no sense of uh poise in a pocket if you're a quarterback right now because you know he's coming and you know he's gonna get there and if you know if you're a quarterback and you know and you've got five out and that tackles by himself you know the tackle is gonna lose so um, he's, he's playing really, really well. And just being out there, um, makes an offense have to prepare for him at all times. I'll be honest. I'm torn on the holding. Like I understand he gets held a lot and it doesn't get called. Um, but I, you know, I think about it a little bit. People have made the Shaq comparisons, the LeBron mm-hmm. comparisons, like obviously, you know, as, as a player, I want, I would want fouls to be called on me. Right. But like, I don't want to go to an NBA game and watch LeBron James shoot 30 free throws you know, Mm -hmm. or 20 free throws. I don't want to go to an NFL game and watch a hold get called on every single play. Even if it helps, even if I'm a fan and it helps my team, I don't want to sit there and watch flags come out on every single play and you stop and the ref makes the announcement and all that. But at the same time, if he is getting hogtied, if he is getting held, it should probably be called. 
I mean, you're a former coach. What what is the balance there? Like, you want there to be game flow. You don't want to flag on every single play. But also, yeah, if your guy's getting held, you want it to be called. Well, if you look at the guys you mentioned, he's in that category of guys who are outliers, right? So in terms of, like, how you handle a guy like uh, Shaq, there was no way to handle him. Or LeBron, there is no way to handle him. It's kind of like Miles, right? So these guys, there really is no set. There is no standard. There is no base thing they can base things off because there's never been a guy like Miles in terms of, the ability to be so fast and so explosive and have so many, have such a pass rush plan. Um, and he kind of, you know, and he's out there on an, you know, they're doing such different things with him and he's not part of a defense that's so aggressive now and all that kind of stuff. But at some point in time, there's got to be some balance, right? Because you can't allow a guy to, you know, you have to force an offensive coordinator to leave multiple people in. You have to force a coordinator to sprint away from him. You have to force a coordinator. Um, that's why Miles gets paid the big money, right? So he, that's why other that's why coordinators get paid big money. You have to figure out a plan, and a plan can't be to hold. And right now, it's it's about as blatant as I've watched in a long time. And that's me as a, a coach, not as as a person who lives in Cleveland, because it is what it is. I'm an offensive coordinator, and it's frustrating because. Um, they're getting away with it. And I would tell my guys to do the same thing. And some of the hooks around the neck and around the, the hips, that's holding. And some of them are blatant. And <clears throat> I don't know. It, I think you're, I, you have a very good point in terms of the flow of the game. Um, but I think it'll happen less. And you're going to get more people that will do more things to try to come up with a plan if he, you're getting holding calls. That's that would be my That would be my thought on that. Okay, let's talk a little <clears throat> Joe Flacco and – I actually want to talk about the the bad side of Joe Flacco here. Um, we look, we know he's he's gunslinger. We know he's going to take chances. That's why he's able to make that throw to Amari Cooper. Uh, he also threw three interceptions in this game. Um, so, tell me what you're seeing with some of these Joe Flacco picks. Well, I broke those down today. Um, so the first one to Jackson, right? So they're in a two shell, and you got Tillman. You have double verticals on the outside, and if you see the backer, you can see the backer in front and the safety behind. It's either two things got to happen, and obviously I don't know what their their term is, but obviously the safety's feet, Jackson's feet, weren't moving backwards. So we always said if he's not moving, if he's even, we're leaving. Obviously, pretty football term, right? If he's even, you're leaving, right? So his football so, – but it looks like he should have – Flacco thought he should have bent in front. That's a cover two beater. Uh, four verticals when you have a, two safeties thing, one of the guys is going to bend. And it looked like Flacco thought Tillman was going to bend, and he didn't bend. So it's either one of two things. Either they thought he was going to bend, or he thought he should have taken over the top because his safety's feet weren't moving backwards. You know, that's reps. So that comes down to, you know, whose fault is it? That's For me, that's more of a rep thing. That's more of like, okay, did you see it? I saw it. Okay, when we see it, we got to bend this. So that would be um, that would be lack of reps probably together for both of them. Second interception you had, um, you know, you had Najoku go in motion to create a bunch. He gets over to the bunch. Now Moore's going to run a quick out. Tillman's going to run a hitch right over top of the center. And Najoku's going to run a hitch outside about three. So you have three guys running a hitch on that side. And then you had Cooper who ran a hitch and Ford who ran a rail route or, or a wheel route. So you basically had four guys short. And that one was on Flacco. He just didn't use his eyes very well. And as he dropped, his eyes went right to Tillman and Edwards closed on it. I think what he could have done is two things. One is look to Cooper, obviously use your eyes, get the ball there. Or because Edwards is so aggressive, keep your eyes on Tillman, then work to Cooper. So once again, that's just a rep thing. He had four hitches and a clear, uh, didn't use his eyes. The last one I think is on him. The last one, he had four verticals. He had uh, They ran 13 personnel. Uh, he had two tight ends. You had Brian on the outside. So he had four receivers. Uh, two on each side, two tight ends. They ran four verticals. 
Bryant's on the outside. Now, what they did is they went cover three. So the safety on the outside to that side, I'm sorry, the corner, the corner has to play we call split the seams. So he's basically, he was on top of both Najoku and Bryant. And his job is to read the eyes of the quarterback and jump either one. Two things have to happen. One is Bryant's got to really get off the ball and force him to cover him. And that's hard for a tight end to do. He doesn't have a receiver speed. The other thing is because you had a six-man box because they walked those outside backers up because it was two tight ends, Flacco's got to know that's one high-hat safety. He's got to be a quick read. That ball's got to be out. Once again, that's reps. So because if you look at that play on that interception, Njoku is wide open. And the reason he's wide open is because of that really good – they ran in 13 personnel. They ran in – Bears ran in regular personnel. That's what Stefanski does really well. He created the look he wanted. And Flacco was just late with it. And Stevenson – now, to credit, it was slow. It wasn't the wrong read. He did a great job of looking Jackson off. He was just late, which allowed Stevenson to fold over, we call it. So he folded over off the top of uh, Najoku, made a really good football play. But if he had it back, he would just be quicker. So a couple, you know, one was, I think, more receiver. One was more Flacco. One was a really good play by Edwards that he could have used his eyes a little bit better. Okay, we come to the most divisive part of the Orange and Brown Talk talk podcast. Every single week we get feedback on both sides. Uh, my, my buddy Nate, uh, Nate Ulrich, who works for the Beacon, he always has feedback for us on our, our smells draft, on our pet peeves. Um, so here we go, Lance. What have you got right, for well, me this week? Well, here, here's here's it's an interesting one, and I don't know like what you guys do as a family, but I'm gonna go. I was just looking at this because my friend texted me, he sent me a, a thing, and it popped into my head. What are your top three sitcoms of your lifetime? Top three sitcoms of your lifetime. Okay, I thought this, this was really is, good. This is this is this is easy. Oh, this, really? Although, I, do you? How do you define is Simpsons a sitcom? Mm-hmm. Okay, it Simpsons is. is number one. Simpsons is okay. number one. Not even a question for me. It's okay. Simpsons. Okay. Uh, Seinfeld is number two. Wow. Okay. And I, I know there's a lot of people who have come to Seinfeld late. They don't. They think it's eight. It hasn't aged well. Whatever. Seinfeld is number two for me. Number three. I'm gonna go see. And again, how do you? I guess it's how do you define sitcom? Does it have to have a? I guess it doesn't have to have a live studio audience, right? So like, this isn't one I'm gonna choose. But like, The Office would be a sitcom, right? Yeah. Well, Parks and Rec would be a sitcom. Yep, great, great two choices right there. Honorable mentions for me right there. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna go. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Does that count as a Ooh, sitcom? Yes, good call. Very. Okay, those. Absolutely, those are my. Really good. Uh, those are my. Three. Really good. I'm a little bit different, so I go. Uh, I go old school. I go. How's uh, who's the boss? Absolutely love Ooh, that one. Okay, we're going all. The, we're going back a little. All right. And that was kind of a tie. I'm gonna kind of cheat. I'm gonna go Wonder Years too. Because Winnie Cooper, you know, she was like, well, Winnie Cooper, Winnie Cooper's Winnie Cooper, right? Um, secondly, I'm going to go, this is a different one. The second one, I'm going to go, that's obviously, but I'm going to go Cheers. Uh, absolutely love Cheers. It was right at, like, I just thought that was a great show. Norm, those guys. Yeah. And then my one that for some reason got me the, it just hit me the funny, the, I don't like the new one, was Night Court. Night Court was hysterical <laughs> to me. So, I don't know. It's a little bit different. There was, you know, you could go. Um, I like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air when I was young. That was a good one. one. Martin is funny. Um, yeah. Uh, there's someone like, like I said, who's the boss? Alyssa Milano. She was awesome. Uh, <laughs> stand, you know, you got that was, you know, those those I'm, were young. I'm actually, I'm, I'm figuring something out here, Lance, because you just you cited Wonder Years because of Winnie Cooper. Yeah. And then who's the boss because of Alyssa Milano? I, That's right. I'm starting to see what you're looking for in these sitcoms here. <laughs> Well, 
you know, you got the, the anyway from the twelve to eighteen, you know, eleven <laughs> to eighteen range. You know, it's a good it's a good sitcom from when you're when you're young. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, I was like, so my buddy sent me the uh, sent me the Cheers, the Norm, and I was like, oh, that's a there good it one. Is, the, the, the sitcom. So I'll be uh, be interested to hear the feedback this week on the sitcoms. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of like. There's a lot there's of people lot of out there ones. that would say Friends, right? Like Friends, Friends was like iconic, so a lot of people will put that one on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's got, if it's got to be like, if if people are being really hardcore, and it's got to be like st- studio audience, right? Like in front okay. of a live studio audience, and I guess I'd have to take Simpsons and It's Always Sunny out. So I, I would keep always Seinfeld sunny, I in. That's Always Sunny. That's a good one. Seinfeld's good. Cheers was good, but that Always Sunny, Always Sunny. Yeah. Parks, Parks and Recreation is really underrated tip for me well here that's really my take funny. is my take is i like parks and rec better than the office really yeah interesting office is a good show too but parks and rec that's a good cho- a good choice not surprising i, I like your i like your <laughs> list still a little different than mine but you know that's why we we have good banter <laughs> yep yeah, so, some people are probably going to get mad at me be like simpsons is not a sitcom it's an animated oh, yeah, we'll, show whatever uh, we'll get our we'll get our we'll get our feedback this week we'll we'll let each other know for sure <laughs> <laughs> okay there we go that is lance reisland every week breaking down the film on a wednesday and bringing some sort of topic to the table that is going to get people angry at us so uh we certainly appreciate that and lance of course is also on our friday preview pods getting you ready for the upcoming opponent so just make sure you're subscribed to the orange and brown talk feed on apple Podcasts and spotify i told you earlier follow us on instagram follow us on youtube search orange and brown talk on youtube search cleveland browns on cleveland.com and also become a football insider subscriber it's cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page to get all the info on that. For Mary Kay, Ashley, and Lance, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.